to get to the next level. To I'm get having them numbers up. To, yeah, I'm yeah. like I'm eight hours away from a master's. What do I need to do? Yeah. The guy taps me on the shoulder. From what I hear, boy, you're not doing your job. <laughs> and I'm looking like, wait a minute. <laughs> I just got an award. So in this moment, like that little ding that just went off, I had yeah. an aha moment. <laughs> I was upset. And and at that time, I had started Wake Hustle Grind. I ended up leaving the office on my lunch break to go pick up a $6,000 check from Trimco mm. to make... I designed a logo with like the Twitter... I redesigned the Twitter logo and put like the Trimco roofing thing on there. And Trimco is like a billion-dollar company. Yeah. I came in and redesigned their stuff. I came to pick up a check. And I'm going, I'm picking up, and I'm putting these shirt boxes in the car. I had so much that I couldn't even fit all of them in there. I had to make like a double trip, like an hour out. Wow. And that's when I noticed. I sat in the car, and I looked in the mirror. I literally looked in the mirror in my car, and I looked at the boxes, and I'm like, I hired myself. I don't need anybody and then uh, like a little trademark that i hired myself yeah and, yeah and that and it started and it evolved into the wake hustle and then everything that i'm doing my business is always to help the little people first not like little people but people starting out yeah to understand that they can do a lot with a little yeah they can maximize their potential with like social media and everything today they can do a lot with a little and this what this magazine is about it's about sharing advertisements, small business, and stories of not just higher-end clientele and bigger businesses and bigger brands that I deal with, but also if you have an Etsy, yeah, I want to share that story and how you got started. If you're in your back kitchen whipping up hair gel for a product that you're selling on Shopify, we want to know about it and share that in the world with also with other big brands. But see, I, I still feel like you downplaying this story. You know what I'm saying? Like... Because me knowing you and knowing the stuff that you've done, I mean, this isn't, I know you're intelligent. I know you don't need a degree to show it. But also know you come from some strong genes as well. You know, I mean, even the things that your father's been able to do. I mean, what has that been like? Because he's, he's been a city councilman in Cleveland yeah, for how long? Like 20, was it 17, 20, 18, 20, something like that. My mom's eight, eight, eight ten years county council, some, somewhere around there. So both of them? Both of them. And you worked on Obama's campaign. I worked on twice, Obama's, and I worked with the Democratic Party up in the... You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You be downplaying yeah, all I mean, this stuff, you know? We're we going to get to the meat of it, you know? Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean that just speaks to the level of, of work that not only you can do, but the load that you can handle. You know, Obama, Obama's campaign starting off, I mean, he was an underdog. It took, it took all hands on deck to, to make what occurred. You don't elect the first black president no. without, you know, some long hours. And so I, I think that, that says a lot about what you've been able to do. Um, but, I mean, has it been difficult for you, would you say, coming out of your, sh your, your father's shadow? Because you've, you've been able to, to, to so, carve out a niche so your own. So I'm, I'm, I'm a... I look at stuff almost like chess moves. Like I'm not I, I, like 15 steps ahead. Like I, I envision stuff 15 head, steps ahead, but I'm always thinking like seven to ten. I'll think of like what if and how is this gonna look in, yeah. in years from now perspective. And one thing I got from my father, what I understood was hard work and being able to execute your vision is is just compound interest in time. 
Yeah. Just because you started today as this, you're not going to end up as this. If you keep working at it, you're eventually going to get it. If you're alive and you keep working at what you want to do, you're going to get it if you continue to work at it. Don't give up. Yeah. Like, you will get it. First time my father got on, it took him, he was 10 years of just helping people out. Like, he wasn't even running anything. Mm. He started Harvest for Hunger. I don't know if you have it here. But the mayor, he ended up doing a deal where he ended up giving it to, like, the mayor back home. But mm. he got proclamations for it. But he started and started Harvest for Hunger, which wow. is one of the biggest United Ways programs. And I as growing up as a kid, like, how I bring my son everywhere. I was there watching him build it. And the one thing was when he first ran for office, he lost by 80 votes, mm. 80 votes in the community. And it was tough. And I remember my father said, Never again. He said, n- not even that. Yeah. He said, you know what? I'm not the better man one. I'm not going to do a recount. Mm. If that's what the people want for 80 votes, he said, I'm just going to work harder. So what he did, it's like it's snowing back in Cleveland right now. Snowing. I just never forget this day. It was snowing. My father got me up early. It was like 5 a.m., kicked me out of bed, like, get dressed. Like, what are yeah. we doing? He said, we, we about to go campaigning. I'm like, oh, man, I know what that is. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I got to go door to door. So he <laughs> takes me. And this is before social media. I, I might have been maybe like middle school. Wow. So he takes me out the bed. It's snowing, right? Yeah. And we go to the next door neighbor house, knock on the door. Mm. I'm Kevin Conwell. You know, you probably voted for me last time. I'm just here to say I'm going to be a councilman next 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 election. He takes me on two, three streets in the snow. It's blizzarding. Wow. I'm in a, like, Daddy, I need to go home. Just shivering. And that stuck with me saying, like, you may have lost on this one. But if you put in compound interest in the work, the next turnaround, you'll be good. And what ended up happening, the next one, he's got 90% of the vote. And every time he goes, he does that same strategy. And he's 90% of the vote because he actually cares and pays attention to what he's doing. And he actually listens to the people in the community and actually tries to implement something and what's going on. Man, I'll be honest, and I think if we had... And this isn't a knock on anybody, but if we had more politicians like that, you know, what could many of many of our communities that we came from look like? Because I always, I always sit back and, and think, like, man, you know, who would ever thought the boy from Rockaway Street would become the man on Nesbitt Lake Court? But it's like, why did I ever have to leave Rockaway Street? You know what I'm saying? Like, why did I ever have to leave? I shouldn't have had to leave. Like, what can we build there to where we... Not not only do we attract, you know, some of the the top black businesses and and black minds, but we also retain the residents that were there, you know, to where there's that balance, you know, because if 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 you've got the economics in your community, gentrification doesn't happen, you know, exactly. ain't nobody coming out to the suburbs gentrifying the suburbs. It just no. don't happen like that, no. you know. And so, um, you know, I kind of just see some of those things, and I'm just like, man, that's why. I'm I'm really proud of what you've been able to do because it 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 takes guys like us willing to step out on that lane, on that limb. Because I mean, people look at what we do and they're like, oh, you know, y'all showboating, y'all doing this, y'all doing that. But it's like you gotta. Life is a life is life is about risk. You know, you will never get to the reward if you're not willing to take the risk. That's just the reality of the situation. My partner from Vintage Tunes last night, uh, DJ Wiz, one of my mentors here. I've uh, been working with. You know, it's kind of been guiding me along. Good business partner, but, you know, he kind of, you know, guides me along with certain things I got to do. You know, he's worked with, uh, you know, Keith Sweat, Keith Robinson, you know, the whole nine. And last night he said, man, 2001, because I was, I was just in L.A. Yeah. And I had an event to go to. 
and I did my event at the dope store. Yeah. And I'm coming back to Atlanta here to come link up to do this coalition DJ thing. And I got an opportunity to go to this big convention in LA if I stay another day. Yeah. And I tell him, like, man, I really should have stayed another day. Like you said, opportunity waits for nobody. Then he shares a story with me and says, look, man, I was on Rap City in 2001, right before the towers fell. And I met up with Damon John. Mm. <laughs> and you know, remember Fatty Girl? Yeah. Fatty Girl. So he's like, I'm already producing for these other people. I got a meeting with Damon John before Damon John was like, Damon John. And he's like, I only had enough money to go back home. I didn't have anything to stay in Manhattan and stay out in New York for another day. And he's like, you know what? I left for the day. And I look up and he says, like, what if I would have stayed that extra day? And like you said, take a leap of faith and bet on me. Yeah, but I mean, think about it, man. People on the other side have been betting on themselves for how long? I mean, they yeah. bet on themselves and they came to America and took it. You know what I'm saying? That's true. Like, at some point, we got to be bold enough to say, you know what? I believe I can get it and I'm willing to fight for it. Because if you're not willing to fight for your... Like, I, I don't believe on believe in fighting for your seat at the table. I believe you got to be bold enough to build your table and have these folks come and sit down with you. You know? Because, I mean, that's that's what it's been like for me. You know, I, I got... Man, my, my whole first year in business, I was running around trying to get a seat at everybody else's table. And it was kind of like you got the scraps. Like, oh, I think we can use you. Maybe we can use you. Can you do this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's all small stuff, all small stuff. And you're like, man, I got to eat. You know, I'm tired of ramen. You know, can I get some shrimp too? Like, you know, that's just how I looked at it. And um, eventually I was like, well, you know, what What can I do? Who can I who can I pair with and, and build something and build something that's not only going to make money, but change our community, you know, and lo and behold, you know, we were, we were two jokes at first and then, you know, Gerald and I just kind of took off, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, I tell him this all, all the time, man, I think what we've been able to do is just divine. Like God has really had his hand on it. And I just believe that, man, when you take that step out on faith, man, God will bless it. I mean, yeah. you look at, you look at the men in, in, the, in the early Bible, you know what I'm saying? And, I mean, what did they have to create a living? All they had were their hands, their hands and their head, you know. And it was what they, it was what they used between them ears that, that, uh, that uh, created the outcome they, they wanted. And so I just think we've, we've got we to stop selling ourselves short. we got to stop, you know, feeling like we need to get our resume right so we can work with a certain company and start, to your point, betting on yourself, hiring yourself. We are just, I just see so many talented minorities, black, uh, Hispanic, Asian, so many talented ones. And I'm like, man, we just got to bet on ourselves a little more, you know? Um, Like, if I could give some advice to people, and and I've done this too as well, and it's always a being, you have to look at what you need to do now to take care of home. But some people, they have an advantage. They don't have families like us. They can really maximize their time. It's it's like if you don't have a kid or something, you should have no excuse to not be successful. If you if you're healthy and you're breathing, yeah, you, know, you better eat on a dollar menu or something and and figure it out. But you yeah. can be smart. Like there's things like Uber or different things that you can do. If you're not a felon, it's certain things that you can do to make money. It may not look great while you're doing what you're doing, but you can do things to make money. And hustling is about being prideful. 
It's about being effective and making money and getting a job done. But it, you know, I went to the um, how I went to the summit at Morehouse. It was called how entrepreneurship can um, eliminate recidivism, and it was a guy, and it's so crazy. Like he was the smartest guy on his block, and he saw his cousin robbing these stores, and he said, "Man, you keep doing X, Y, and Z." Why don't you do ABC? Not only will you spend less time robbing the store, but you can make more money. <laughs> well, <laughs> police realized <laughs> that his cousin, the thief's whole crime spree had changed. It changed its whole direction. So when they finally caught him, they asked him what changed. And he said, oh, my cousin let me know what I was doing wrong, and I fixed it. Well, they ended up arresting his cousin, too, and so he spent four years in prison for that. What? Yes. For telling them like you're doing the, <laughs> you're getting the licks like Yeah, they, they, oh they he was a party to the crime. And That's so he served four years. So but he was so smart, but when he came out, he um he couldn't get a job. And then this this guy that owns a lawn lawnmower company hired him. And uh, he's looking at what this guy does, and he's like, Man, I could do this all by myself. And so the guy was doing all this talking, talking reckless, was hard on him, yada yada. Well, he was getting contracts on the side, building everything up. And he finally came to his boss one day and said, I'll buy your company from you. And the guy's jaw dropped. He's like, you ain't got enough. And he called the number out, bought the man's company, started running it. And what he started doing is teaching uh, 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 felons how to come out, start their own businesses. And he's got, uh, gosh, I think it's over 200 felons who've come out of prison. And, and they're making all, all making over six figures. And that's that's good. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, like it. But that comes from that that desire to bet on yourself. Cause I sit back and look, man. Like when I was a kid, I was doing, you know, I mean, man, single parent household. I mean, was broke, man. And I'm out here trying to find ways of making money. And I, I know my mom had to think I was selling drugs or something, cause I was just coming home with, you know, fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty dollars a day, and she's like what in the world are you doing? I was working for Teens Against Drugs and Alcohol. And, like, I got to a place where I had a system, you know, because for every candy bar you sold, which was $6, you got $1.50. So I'm like, okay. Well, and my mom had just got laid off at the time, so I'm like, all right, uh, how many bars do I need to sell to make $100, $150? You know what I'm saying? All right, got that. What communities do, do I need to go into to maximize on that? Because I got to a place where the guy that was dropping off, I told him, look, this ain't a good area for me. I mean, you need to take me up 10 miles up the road. Like, I had it all broken down. You learn business one-on-one. That's, but that's my whole point. And when you start to realize <laughs> what you know, it's like, man, like. I share that same story with you because of my book that I'm working on, Hustler's Thesis, my first chapter is, you do in school, right? They give you the candy box. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm competitive. I'm like, they're like, if you sell these many candies, you're going to get a Sega Genesis. Yeah. I'm on that. I'm going to get it. Yeah. So I go in my little area down the street and I knock on the doors. I don't get anything. I come back, I might get like, I might have made a few sales. But this is where I learned. This is what happened. This is what all business people need to learn when they jump out and start. Yeah. How you start is not how you finish. Yep. You learn things to maximize and switch. But what they got to realize is we fail every day. 
we fail every day, and it's so crazy because when I was speaking to a, a group of students at um, at a at a the Florida PRA meeting, uh, Public Relations Association, they were asking me to explain the time when I fail, and I didn't know how to answer it. And it's not that I didn't know how to answer, but I'm like, I fail every day. Like there, you know, every every day I've got a PR campaign that isn't successful. But in the when I realize it's not successful, I'm what? I'm audible and I'm changing it up. I'm constantly looking at ways of, okay, how do I change this? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, back to exactly. your point. I mean, there's, if you, you got to get used to failing to stay in this space. If you're not used to failing, you're not going to make it. You Go back at, to your nine to five. I look at what the competition is doing. And going back to the candy situation, like, when I got back to the classroom, I asked, like, uh, the kids, one girl came in and she crushed it. And I go to her, I said, how did you do that? I asked the question, how did you do it? Yeah. She said, well, my mom went to her office, and she got everybody to sell it. And I said, boo. Bingo. I said, I'm going to make some money. So I went on the block. I got the kids across the street. I got my mom to go to, like, it was Twin Value back then or something, to get some candy. And I hustled up, and I started my own candy business off of what I learned from that real quick. And I went back door to door, and people were like, you back again? I said, but this time. You don't have to place an order. I got the candy right now, and I maximize it and put a street team together mm. to maximize what was what was going on. But I learned from my failure to ask questions, how to pivot, and yeah. how to move forward. But I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Because think about it, man. When I was when I was doing this, I I knew I knew if I wanted to maximize on the money. And I grew, I, was, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. I needed to get out. I needed to be out there where some of those beachside properties were, where I knew people had money, where I knew people were probably more likely to say they were so accustomed to everybody upcharging everything that six dollars for a little candy bar didn't seem like a big hit. You know what I'm saying? It was about understanding where that target audience for these sales were going to be. And I, I used to sit back and like when I told my mom, she was like, "What you did is genius." And I remember we went into this community. Dude, all white community, man. All white was one black family. And I remember I knocked on the, the door, and the black dude was like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And um, he was like, you don't need to be doing this. And I didn't know what he was saying then. I know now, but I didn't know then. At that time, all I could know was what? I'm hungry. My mama just got laid off work. We got bills that need to be paid. I'm the man in the house at 14. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's what I knew. Those were, the, those were the four things that resonated in my mind. It, it, it had nothing to do with what he was talking about then. What he was saying then, which, which speaks to me now in the future, is do this for yourself. You're taking $1.50 and you're giving them $4.50, but you're doing all the work. You're doing all the work. And now as I'm, now as I'm doing the work, my team is doing the work, but I'm getting the majority of those profits. I flipped it. You see what I'm saying? And I mean, that's where we got to get to because, it, I mean, when you start to understand how this system in America works, if, you, if you're not a force in, in the game of economics, what are you doing? But that's what we need to tell our young people. Yeah. Because what I was upset with was this. They told me, go to college. Okay, I'm going to go to college. But when I was 18... I already was making money and doing my own stuff. And I was smart enough and responsible enough not to blow my money. But going to school was, you know, my parents' heart, you need education. So I'm going for the education lane. 
And like you said, we get out and nobody wants to hire us. But they don't want to hire us because what? Experience. So no, they no, say. No, 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 no. They don't want to hire us because if you think about it, and this is why, and that's, that's why I like studying cultures. At the end of the day, man, it's a very simple issue. White people work with white people. Black people work with black people. Hispanic people work with Hispanic people. Asian people work with Asian people. People work with who they're comfortable with. That's right. And they usually work with what? The people who live around them. So when they talk about black-on-black crime, well, you also got to talk about white-on-white crime. You also got to talk about Hispanic-on-Hispanic crime because all these things tend to happen to who? People you live around. And so my whole point is when you start to understand, uh, you know, when you see many of these Asians, whether it's Vietnamese, um, uh, Chinese, they all create pockets where they do business together. And so if you start to see that, what do we need to do? We got to create pockets to do business together so that we can what? We can hire people from within our community because we're the ones that are going to be more intentional about what that black community looks like, who has jobs here, who has jobs there. We're the ones that are going to be more intentional. And that's why Dr. King said after integration, I felt like I, I put my, my people into a, a burning house, you know, because we, we, we started leaving what we had built for, for things that didn't belong to us. Well, I don't think, like, I see, like, the shift. I was talking about in the barbershop earlier this week. I, I don't think the shift is, like, we don't we don't not, not want to do good. We want to do good. Mm-hmm. One, we don't have the understanding to know how to do good. I agree with that. And here's the thing that I see. I know when I did my research on how do I want to market, mm-hmm. Like in the magazine, who do I want to market to and target? When I saw that hair and cosmetics and apparel, like hair and how we look as black people is the number one thing we spend money on. Number two is apparel. And when I did my research on that. We don't own those companies. We One, we don't own. And two, I looked at, okay, we own a lot of service businesses. Yeah. Within the black community, we own a lot of service business. And here's the thing that, I've, like, that, what that we're talking about in the barbershop. I come into your restaurant, I don't give you five-star service because I look at you like, okay, you're black, I'm black, uh, shut up, dude. Like, you take it or leave it because this is just how it is. So our service is, like, bad, not just in Cleveland, Atlanta, Detroit, New York. Our service amongst each other is down. So a lot of times people say, well, I want to go somewhere with better service. Yeah. So they'll try to go somewhere to get that service. So how do we get our service what, standards? I think, and, and this is coming, you know, there's a great book. It's called Brainwash by Tom Burrell. And he's, um, he's a black PR guy, owns his own company. He's done work for a lot of big companies. And he said something that made a, a ton of sense. We, gotta, we also got to understand that as, as African Americans, you know, when we were freed in 1865, we were freed without resources. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was there was no resources that were given to us. It was pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But we ain't even got boots. You know, there was a, a plantation in outside of New Orleans that my wife and I went to. Um, and the descendants of those slaves lived on that plantation until 1975 as sharecroppers. Yeah. So you think, man, we had the civil rights movement in the 60s, but y'all was still on the plantation. So when you think about, uh, yeah. you, you see what I'm saying, how far behind we are, like there's, there has to be, we have to reprogram ourselves to see the value within ourselves. And Tom Burrell called that the black inferiority complex. He said from the moment we stepped foot on this land in 1619, there has been uh, a campaign against black people. And so 
the problem is we don't own media companies. You know, we don't own platforms like these to where we can start to share our own stories because we have to change. We have to set the whole value. That was the reason why I took on the R. Kelly case. It wasn't, it wasn't about taking down a black man. It was about showing the value of black women. It was about saying, look, man, I love you. Your voice matters. I, there's no reason for me to be a black man married to a black woman, have a black daughter, and not see an issue with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I should be one of the first ones on the front line screaming at the top of my lungs that something ain't right here. And I, I know, you know, you know, Gerald and I took some heat because folks are like, well, y'all keep saying black women, black women, black women. Well, black women are what? One of the most underrepresented women True. in that space. True. So we got to call it for what it is. I'm not saying it doesn't <coughs> impact other women, but the reality is, is they don't get the same TLC <laughs> that no, everybody else gets in that space. And so until we start to see value in it, and just because we say black doesn't mean it's bad. It's just saying that, look, since, since 1619, we have not gotten the respect in this country, the love in this country. I mean, this country didn't even give us the resources once we were free. You know, I mean, the 40 acres and the mule, we lost that once Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And so it's like once you understand the historical context of, of what has happened here, you realize, you know what? we got to go a little harder because you go down to the Georgia State Capitol and what are the monuments they have around the state capitol? True. It's the demons of the Dixie. You know what Man, I'm saying? My father, not to switch over, switch back. Yeah. My pops actually has been changing names of schools in the community. Like Patrick Henry. Yeah. That's now, uh, who, who did they change that name to? I believe it's Stephanie. Don't quote me on it. i got to double check, but I believe that's Stephanie Tubbs. Yeah. Well, that was one of our, our uh, Congress people who she passed away yeah. but um but we, we gotta do that stuff because what is it i went to my middle school was stonewall jackson middle school anybody that knows who stonewall jackson is knows that's a slap in the face to send a bunch of black kids to that school because what he fought to uphold um if he would have won we would still would have been in chains and people keep saying um you know civil war was about slavery it wasn't totally about slavery it was about who was going to run this country economically and we understand that yeah. The Confederates were winning the war, and the only way to, to cut off their cash crop was to freedom slaves. You really understand what this, what that whole battle was about. But it's like, man, like at the end of the day, we gotta, to Burrell's point, we gotta reprogram ourselves. We gotta, at some point, we gotta start pushing back against the narratives that are set. And so, when I see these things, I'm I'm going hard. I'm like, man, like yeah, my wife is gonna see. You. Yeah, my wife's gonna see her value. My daughter's gonna see her value. Cause I mean, you talk about take. You know, your father taking you everywhere, man. I, I walk in the meetings with my kid. I mean, my kids, they kids going to be closed for uh, till Thursday this week, you know, because they, they got some 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 water pump issue and they can't have the kids there. And so my wife is scrambling. I'm like, man, she just going she just going to ride with daddy this week. And you that's know? how I got a lot of my deals done starting off with my son. I literally had he had I had to go shoot. a. It was at a bar, too. And I had to go shoot like a tailgate. And I literally had my son in his little, I put him in his little Buckeyes outfit. <laughs> and he looked like a little Buckeye. Yeah. And I had him in the thing rocking him while I'm doing my interviews and shooting at this place. And they looking like, you got a baby here? I went far to the where the pool table was, away from all the, like, drinking and smoking and all that. And I had my son in there on my arm doing interviews and getting the job done. Yeah. And they're like, man, you, I'm like, look, hey, sometimes sitters come up, but I'm responsible. I couldn't find anybody to, to switch out with me, but I said I was going to be here. Now I'm going to be here. And it actually made the video 
actually go good for them because I had my yeah. son in a little Buckeyes outfit in it. So it kind of was, was yeah. kind of cool thinking outside the box, but it kind of made for cool music. But you, you, you got to be able to do that stuff because when you understand what it takes to be not only just successful in business, but successful as a family man, to be that father, when you understand those things, that's when you're making that true impact because what you're able to do with your son, what is he going to do with it? He's going to take what you did and run with it and run even further. You know, a lot of people get mad at Trump. The, yeah, that's the goal. You know, they like, oh, he, he ain't pay his taxes. He was broke. He was this. He was that. He ain't a real business person. It don't matter if he was a real business person or not. His daddy set him up. When are we going to start setting our kids up? When are we going to start putting them in places where they can be competitive? That's the way I see this stuff. We got to compete at all levels of this thing. You know, I'm not talking about competing just on, on sports, uh, and, sports stuff, yeah. and entertainment. I mean, the way I see it, th there's no reason why we dominate entertainment and we don't have black executives. Like, and I, I'm not saying one or two or three. I mean, across the board, black executives should not be the minority in like entertainment. Like Tyler Perry. So yeah, like <laughs> exactly. There shouldn't, there sh there, there's no reason why there's no black NFL team owner. You know what I'm saying? There's no reason for that stuff in industries because at some point you gotta you gotta redirect that money where back in our communities because if you don't do that we don't have a fighting chance, and I, I think it just perpetuates the uh, the just what happened to us when we came here. You know, and all this stuff is interconnected, and when you realize that, you're like, you know what? Because that's the one part of Dr. King that nobody want to talk about is when he talked about the redistribution of wealth. You know, like I mean, he was going in and. I mean, he had a point, you know. We were brought here to be the labor force. I understand that, but um, we educated now. So, I mean, it's it's a lot. See what you got me doing on MLK Day? Yeah, I mean. See what you done 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 did? <laughs> like it's like crazy. Like I'm actually down here on MLK Day. It's like when I was younger, I always wanted to come to Atlanta, but um. Just never was able, I, I never really had, like, any family down here. So, you know, coming out and meeting people and talking to people and start getting into networks down here, yeah. it makes it, like, it makes it refreshing to meet good, genuine business people and good family people and meet good people down here. Because uh, Atlanta gets a bad rap outside of Atlanta. Like, as far as, uh, you know, everybody wants to just flood to Atlanta, but I'm like... It's actually like a lot of good opportunities here. If you're willing to come here and put in work, you can you can make something happen. And you know, one of the things that I love about Atlanta, honestly, is is I um you know it was it was almost like when I went, when I went to the HBCU because I didn't grow up in a predominantly black area, and um I think you know when you're when you're in those places where you see the diversity within the diaspora. You know what I'm saying? And it's like you go to HBCU and you got black skateboarders. You got the black rock stars. You know what I'm saying? It lets you know that, you know what? I don't have to conform. I don't have to have my, my pants hanging off my, my butt. I don't have to walk around with cornrows. I can literally be the person I want to be. Like right now, I got on a women's shirt. You know, respect, protect, and elevate. You know, sex trafficking organization. You know? And, um, I mean, that's what I'm passionate about. And, 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 and us being able to say, you know, we can be who we want to be. We don't have to, to, to live out these labels that were placed on us. I mean, because a lot of these narratives were written, and they weren't written by us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You can't, 
you can't take a minority of a stereotype and place it on on the whole population of people. Like yeah, they, they they try. <laughs> you know they what try. I'm saying? So, cause it's like I done got to a place where I walk in the board meetings with hoodies on now, you know, and folks are like, "Oh, you here with a hoodie on?" Yeah, like, you have to do that. You gotta you, you, you gotta change you to it switch, in their minds. Yeah, you have to switch it up because like uh, I had a blockchain meeting. Not blockchain. Uh, you familiar with blockchain? Yeah. So funny thing was, uh, I work with my guy Peter Cimarroni. Back at uh, back at home, we do a podcast called Blood Time. Blood Time. And yeah, so it goes over wrestling. And uh-huh. how I met him, it was crazy. Uh, I was at an event and I met him. And you know, long story short, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna help you out with your podcast. Mm. Now, I'm black. Definitely, he's an older white Italian guy, and I didn't think he would even accept what I'm doing, but he's like, you know what, I'm going to bring you around, and, you know, I've seen your work, you're amazing, come on, let's go. So now I'm starting to share him and my network, the people he's sharing me in his network, and a lot of these stories that I'm starting to see is very, very similar. Oh, yeah. It's, it's scary. Yeah. And, and I'm looking like, you know, Peter didn't even have to bring me around all this stuff, and so he's like, you know, I got a blockchain meeting. Come to it. Switching over to the clothing thing on all on a tangent, but I go in and he's like, wear a suit. And I'm like, and I tell him like, and he owns a suit company. So I was like, I don't have. I, I have like two suits that I wear like when I'm going, but I don't have anything that's like, you know, dressy because I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Like not that I don't want to do that, but it's not part of my brand. So I stay within my brand when I go places. I go mm-hmm. in my comfort zone. Unless it's like the president's thing and I a ball and I have to dress up, I won't do that. So I went in and I went to the place and I was like, tried to dress to fit in. And I was like so uncomfortable. And I just told him, I said, you know what, next time when I come to this thing, I want to be within my comfort thing. Now he accepts me. He's starting to accept me for me. Because yeah. I'm telling him like, I get what you guys got going on. But if you're going to work with me, like this, is, you're getting me. Like I'm not yeah. acting or pretending to be anything else. You're going to get good work out of me. This is how I. This is what I wear. This is yeah. get, get comfortable. I mean, I wear I wear suits. Like if it's to your point, if it's a ball or something, if it's a if it's a high level meeting, if it's somewhere yes, where that I that makes I, sense. Yeah, why well, need getting to, a check? Yeah, like yeah. Let me. I need. Okay, the best version of myself will be there. But if I'm walking into the office, if I'm walking to a networking event, at the end of the day, I want people to understand that those same kids that y'all afraid of, that's me. You know what I'm saying? Because me and my neighbors, we done got into it a few times. <laughs> you know, because they, they just be on some other stuff. And um, But for me, it's all about ensuring that these little, little black boys that y'all keep calling suspicious, that y'all keep, like, th- that's me. That's me. I got into it with one of the uh, the reporters here in town. She was like, man, you harp on all these issues and they're not the same. I said, those are black boys. That's me. Period. Period. So, and uh, you know, and I want them to also look back and see me as well and see, okay, well, if he done left from where we are and have made it there, we can do it too. And I think it's just really, it's, it's super huge to be able to make, you know, be able to make that impact because that's the stuff that changes communities. Us, us trying to be something we not don't help any. It doesn't serve a greater purpose. Being a role model, not just saying, hey, 
in the line, like, I'm a role model, but actually being a role model for the younger generation to look up to to say, I can aspire to be like him or better. Yeah. I have a lane to go into. I feel like growing up, I didn't have anybody in my peer group that was doing what I'm doing now that I can see doing what I'm doing. I just knew that what I wanted to do, I was just fortunate enough to make up my mind, and I knew what lane I wanted to do, and by any means, I'm going to do it. But a lot of people don't have that luxury. Like, I remember my friend Derek Forrest, like, growing up, he's like, man, I got all this talent. We've been in school, and I want a job, and I really want to work somewhere, and I want to do this, but I can't get out of Cleveland. If nobody gives me an opportunity, what do I do? I feel like like I'm in a, a trap, a mouse trap. I'm doing everything I need to do, but nobody wants to get that opportunity. And a lot of these kids and youth, vo youth voices are like this. They want to be great. They just don't have the opportunity to be great, and they don't have the people to look at that's around their age group and demographic to say, I can be great too if I do these things. Yeah. And they don't have the resources to go to places to see those people. You True. know what I'm saying? And I mean, because that's a huge part of it. I mean, dude, I didn't start thinking like this till I was I was 28 years old. I sit back sometimes and I think back, man, the hustle has always been there. I did it when I was 14. Why did it take me another 14 years to say, you know what, I, I want to do this on my own. I'm going to do this on my roadmap. I mean, the, the person who changed how I saw this was my father-in-law. He owned his own veterinarian clinic, black guy, one of the first black veterinarians in the state of North Carolina. He just did it. Folks told him he couldn't do it. He did it anyway. And it's like, it's, it's, when you get around guys like that, it changes because, I mean, think about it. it. This is 2020, and we're still saying the first black to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's crazy, crazy, bro. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so when you get around somebody who's done it, you just start thinking differently. you like, for me, I was like, look, let me just make sure my wife is cool, but this dude about to get his two-week notice. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? You're going to get this two-week you know, you have to see, like, my thing is this, I know my roadmap, but two, I have to see things, like, just going to LA and do this event, I'm like, man, I'm seeing all the Lamborghinis, all the, tr I'm like, man, I, I I want a Lamborghini too, I'm, I'm, I'm working and inspiring, I, I want that too, I yeah. work hard, and I'm looking, how can I get that, mm. and I'm understanding now, is we do have to work hard and we do have to hustle. Now, at our age, it's about partnering and working smart and leveraging and understanding how to position yourself for the next five to ten years. But that's business, though. The top 200 uh, brands in America are owned by six companies. Yeah. They done leveraged each other to create 200 brands. <laughs> yeah. Back to the yeah. leverage you're talking about. But you only do that if you understand business true that's the only way that stuff comes from and so what i'm seeing is i see a group of people spending what trillions of dollars a year but you don't see that result in their community true what happens if we start leveraging each other true that's all i'm saying because i see it you know what i'm saying i see it it's easy it just takes us getting to this place to what Borel is saying is reprogramming ourselves let that knob turn because, I mean, think about it. Me and you got an Atlanta to Cleveland connection. 
what happens if we get a Detroit and New York connection? What happens if we get an LA connection? You know what I'm saying? All these different pieces just start moving. And that's what it comes down the to. The way social media works now is like, you know, you have to use that as a tool other than just entertainment. You know, actually go in there and actually talk and network with people. It's kind of like funny. I'll grab my phone. I'll leave voice messages to people like, hey, I'm not a robot. I, I kind of like your content you're putting out. Reach out to me if you want to reach out. If you don't, I understand you're busy. But, hey, I'm just reaching out. And there's nothing wrong with just reaching out to someone to say, hey, I see what you're doing. We may be busy right now, but I see what you're doing. Yeah. And I find value in that with networking with me. That works. Like how I got in Atlanta right now was networking on social media. Mm -hmm. Someone reached out to me for work, and then they just ended up referring me to people here. Yeah. All off social media. People I never even met. And it was just taking, like you said, a leap of faith. Yeah. Getting on a plane, spending your own money, and just going out and doing what you need to do. And. But that's all it Excuse. is, man. That's all it is. Every Everything you do as an entrepreneur is a leap of faith. I had a guy from my church reach out to me. Say, look, man, I don't know what you got going on, but I see we got some synergy. How do we make this happen? And that's all it comes down to. Frank was like, dang, Kevin is doing this. Dante doing this. I see synergy. Let's see if they see it. And what happens? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what it all comes down to. How do you make it work? So, but yeah, man, we got to wrap this thing up, man. This has been a really good conversation. Really good. What are your um, final thoughts, part, uh, um, partner? Yo, we'll just stick with final thoughts. I'm over here trying to use big words. But uh, what are your final thoughts? Where can people find The Grind Magazine? Where can people tune in and catch you? So they can go to wakehustlegrind.com. Wakehustlegrind.com. Wakehustlegrind. Got the whole brand. Wakehustlegrind.com or The Grind Don't Stop. Dot com, uh -huh. And that's a collection of blogs with, I use a lot of trending media, so a lot of up top when you come to uh, the site, it's more so like a blog where anything that's trending, basically like Shade Room or Baller Alert, anything that's entertainment value that my target demographic likes, it will be there. But also in between, I have small business ads and things like, uh, you know, uh, the True Laundry Wash. Mm -hmm. I'm doing some business with a distributor out of Cleveland, their their ad is in their tax services. Yeah. You know, normal things that don't get a chance to be on mainstream media placed around smaller brands so they can get the opportunity to get hits and brand recognition. That's you what's know, up. Beyond That's, the brand. Beyond the brand. And uh, tell them your social handles because you got like 12 of them. Yeah, I do, <laughs> man. I got to like niche it out. But at Wake Hustle Grind CEO and at 3KP Marketing. That's the the main ones you can reach me at the number three, K P marketing. Yeah, uh, that's the main place. And don't forget, y'all need to subscribe. Y'all need to like. Y'all need to comment. We're on all the social media platforms. You can watch a, a rebroadcast of this on YouTube, and you can also check us out on uh, wherever you find podcasts with Eastream Live. So look up Eastream Live. You'll find all my content with Beyond the Brand. You'll find Gerald Griggs' content with Justice Fighter Radio. You'll find uh, Scotty's content with create, uh, uh, Conversations Create Change. And so, uh, yeah, man, we got a lot of good things coming. We got Dom coming on here with all the hip-hop. And before I cut you off, I just want to shout out my wife, oh. Tierra Conwell, uh, my son, Kevin Conwell <laughs> Jr., my whole family, Kevin Conwell, my dad, you know, my sisters, you know. 
Shout out to everybody back Shout in out Cleveland. Shout out to everybody. Uh, Vintage Tunes, Rip. See you guys. Um, dope story. Frank Wiley, we see you. Frank Wiley, Jackie LA. Um, Power see One. We see you. Power One Hundred Six. <laughs> and everybody. Um, What's his know. name? Uh, uh, old boy that dated uh, Lisa Left Eye, the football player. Used to play for the Falcons. Oh. Yeah, Andre Wiseman, we see you. He from Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just saying, we're going to shout them out. Let's just shout them out. So, yeah, so this, is, this has been dope. Hey, man, it. I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you know, it. appreciate you making time here. Y'all, stay tuned. We got some dope content. You know, we're all about telling stories, stories of entrepreneurs, and letting you know how you can get it going and uh, just what this, this, uh, this walk by faith looks like. So tune in. I'm Dante Carter with Beyond the Brand right here. Peace.